0: Welcome to the Bring Your Product Idea to Life podcast. This is the podcast for you if you're getting started selling products or if you'd like to create your own product to sell. I'm Vicky Weinberg, a product creation coach and Amazon expert. Every week I share friendly, practical advice as well as inspirational stories from small businesses. Let's get started. Hello, today on the podcast, I'm talking to Yannicka Cordina. Yannicka is the founder of Cordina Hair, specialising in product development, intellectual property, retail and marketing. We have a really great conversation about how Yannicka created her very first product, um, all the work she put into prototyping and manufacturing, which she did herself in the very early days. We talk about copyright issues and how she protects her intellectual property um, and a whole load of other things too. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Yannicka. Well,
1: hi Janika. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be talking to you today.
0: Well, me too. I've got so many questions, but can we please start with an introduction to yourself, your business and what you sell?
1: Yes, sure. So my name is Janika Cordina. I am the founder of Cordina Hair and I invented the flower curl and the waver barn. There are two heatless hair tools and that I managed to also secure intellectual property
0: on. Thank you so much. I have so many follow-on questions. So I guess let's start with, well actually first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your hair haircuts? Obviously people will be listening to this. I, I hope everyone's going to go to your website after and have a look, but do you mind just telling us briefly about what they are and how they work just so people have got an idea as we go forward
1: yes um so I've got two products so the flower curl is a heatless hair curler and the waver Burn is a heatless hair waver they're slightly different from each other uh they're both heatless but one is used as a hair curler so the results are quite more like defined heatless curls and uh, it also looks very different to what you normally find um online um it's it sits on the top of your scalp so the sides of your face are free and you're able to sleep comfortably in it and also wear it during the day and without having the curler kind of get in the way um the waver bun is a uh heatless hair tool that kind of sits like a bun i'm wearing it right now you can see but it sits like just like a normal bun and uh when you remove it, you get these beautiful heatless waves and you don't get the typical kinks, like from hair ties, from having your hair up. So you can wear it, like, during activities. We can we also kind of use it for sports as well um, and use it overnight. So they're quite handy hair tools to have.
0: Oh, thank you so much for explaining that because I think it's really good for people to have, like, a picture of what we're talking about. Obviously, I can actually see you, so I can see your bun as well. Um, <laughs> so what inspired you so your heatless hair color was your first product and what was your inspiration for creating that because I think I'm writing saying that before your products all of the hair colors at the time were heated is that correct
1: um there were a few heatless hair tools um some of them like really really dated and bulky I feel like the product came around because I was just frustrated with my own kind of trying to style my hair. I'm very bad at styling my hair as well. So I was always trying different uh, hair products to kind of style my hair. And I was just finding them really uncomfortable, like impossible to sleep in. And uh, I really wanted to to step away from heated hair tools as well. I've got a really fine hair, so I get like hair damage very easily. Um, and uh, I just couldn't find a suitable product to kind of meet my needs. And that's where the flower curl kind of came up, came about, um, created quite a long list of criteria that this hair curler needed to meet. And that's kind of where this prototyping process started. Well, that's brilliant. And
0: thanks. They're really interesting. And actually, as you were talking and I was saying, oh, there aren't many heatless products. That Suddenly it did come to mind. Of course, there are. But there were things like rollers. I mean, I remember a long time ago, people with the rollers in their hair. But as you say, they're really bulky, quite old fashioned, hard to put in, take out. So Yeah, and I think the reason nothing came to mind for me was because I feel like a lot of those products, people just don't use them anymore because they're not very practical.
1: Yeah, it's quite, um, I feel like they're really time-consuming as well. Like the traditional heatless hair products, quite time-consuming, bulky, and you just can't really multitask in them, I feel. And it's really impossible to steep in. I mean, since I've launched my flower cover, there's been more heatless hair tools on the market but there's not nothing quite like the flower curl it looks completely different um, it looks a bit quirky um, and kind of that's why it's so unique and and how i managed to secure um intellectual property on it
0: and we'll definitely talk a little bit more about the intersection of property in a moment. So I'd love to touch on that and sort of how you went about it and what your experience was. So you mentioned a moment ago that you came up with a list of criteria for the product. And so from there, how did you go about the prototyping process?
1: Um, it's, it did start with obviously an idea that I've put on paper. So I this idea came to mind. I drew it on a piece of paper. And took that paper and just started the prototyping process. So that can look different depending on how complex the product is. But what in my case, I had to kind of test different materials, different fabrics, different size, uh, different sizes, and testing the technique as well. Um, changing the techniques over time, and that took like three years, it took a long time to actually launch the product. So from idea to launch, it it can, you know, everybody can, if if I took three years, maybe someone else can, it can take them a year, but the prototyping is quite a lengthy process.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really useful for people to know that it did take that long because I think there's often the perception that things appear out of nowhere and (laughs) and your product comes overnight. so So it's really good. And thank you for being so honest. Um, And with the prototyping process, was that something you were doing yourself or were you working with a company to support you with that?
1: So money was an issue um, and I was working two jobs at the time. So I did it all by myself. I had like a little sewing machine. Um, I'm not a seamstress, but I just kind of learned how to use it and was, testing it and probably that's why it took me a bit longer as well because I was doing it all by myself and didn't have that um external help which you know I I couldn't afford to pay um but I believed in my product and I found a way around the money issue um and I made it happen that's
0: brilliant thank you and yet that must have taken so much perseverance to actually be doing that yourself um as well as you know they're coming up with the ideas and tweaking but to actually be the person who then has to go and sit at the machine and make the changes and make another round of prototype that's yeah i can see totally why that's so time intensive especially when you know you have other jobs as well
1: yeah and i mean i used to work like two jobs one my main job like finishing at five and then i would start my second job in the evening just to get that extra money um, which eventually helped fund the initial stages of the flower curl, uh, but I worked on the prototypes whenever I had a moment to myself, like my free time. So it would be evenings, weekends, and uh, it was. It became almost like a hobby. Really, I was really enjoying the process. And prototyping can be quite lengthy, but it, I found it quite fun because. I I knew there was something special about it and I knew I was going to get to the final version of it. But the steps, you just need to embrace the process um, and go from one prototype to the other. Like the very first prototype looks nothing like what it looks like now. Um, So you'll see lots of versions of the product um, over time um, until you get the right one. That's
0: really interesting. And I guess that means that you can sort of work out which, what works, what doesn't work. And I imagine that your final version is maybe, is it like an amalgamation of the versions that came before? So the good parts mm-hmm. that you, that you took from it and did you involve anyone else in the process? I'm just wondering, did you have people to test it for you? See if it works in different hair types or the, back in these very early days, was were you sort of keeping the idea to yourself?
1: Yeah, it was this big secret that I was uh, keeping from oh, everyone, I can't else. You. but I really um, you. I my know. family knew about it. So my mum was testing it out. Um, I was testing it out, and then I was like cutting my hair to test it out on shorter hair. And I also bought um, like hundred percent human hair mannequins, so testing it, testing it on like very thick hair and different hair lengths. So I had to find a way to kind of test it out but keep it uh, a secret um and uh when i was going to my office job i was getting compliments on my hair so that was um a nice uh kind of validation of what i was doing so i knew i was onto something when i'm i'm getting compliments on how my hair looked and they were asking me what i'm what i'm using and how i have the time to do it so these all these all these feedback that I was getting just fueled me to continue doing what I was doing.
0: Yeah, thank you. And at which stage did you think about patenting your designs? Let's talk about the intellectual property. Was that once you had your final prototype, or was it once you'd, you know, started thinking about manufacturing? Which bit comes first,
1: would you it, say? So I feel like straight away. So I think it an idea, I had an idea and I had to look it up and see if it's actually already out there. I think that is really the first step that I probably recommend. You would Google and just have a look if your idea is already out there. And I couldn't find anything. And, um, and I thought this is something that I probably would need to look into protecting. I had no idea about like intellectual property. So I had no knowledge on the subject at all. So it's a lot of research and uh, there is a lot of information online. It can be quite overwhelming. It's it's quite a complex subject, but there is a lot of information. And and from there, I was able to look up existing patents and to see whether my idea has already been protected um and there was nothing like my idea so that's where i approached a patent attorney to discuss my product and look into protecting it
0: that makes sense and i think definitely to do it before you start finding someone to work with because of course you need to know that your idea is safe before 100% proceeding. and also
1: you wouldn't want to work on something and all of a sudden you realize you're actually copying someone else um you don't want to be in that position because one you could get into um legal complications there and you you don't want to be wasting a lot of time like in i I spent three years prototyping so imagine if i spent that much time and then only to realize that my product has already been patented. So, definitely research upfront, um, I would say, uh, is is the key forward.
0: And was working with a patent attorney helpful? Because, like like you say, it seems so complicated knowing what sort of protection to get. So, was it useful to work with somebody who knew the ins and outs and could recommend it?
1: I do recommend working alongside a patent attorney. I feel he was able to answer a lot of my questions. and they tend to write a lot of information on the subject as well. So in the beginning, if let's say you don't have a budget towards um, patents, you can approach a company that can help you with a patent and ask you questions. And oftentimes they would send you links to articles that you can read. And that's what I did. So they sent me lots of information. I printed all that information out And almost studied it so I can understand what I'm getting myself into. And I think knowing a bit on the subject helps um, because it can be quite a costly uh, way to, you know, lose all your money in the beginning. So um, I think research and reading through it all can really help the process and make it a bit more cost efficient.
0: That's really good advice. Thank you. Um... Yeah, I really like that as well, because I think the more information that you have as well, you just feel a bit more in control of the process. And of course, 100%. so much of this is new. And um, I'm assuming as well, this is the first product that you created. So like the whole thing is very new to you.
1: Sorry, I. you need to repeat that again, sorry. No, I didn't worry at all. I was saying, am I right
0: in thinking this was the first product you've created? So of course the whole process is very new to you. So I, yes,
1: so um, it was the first time i've ever created something that i was looking into protecting and also there's like different variations of protection so you can look at protecting how it looks you can protect how it actually functions you can protect the 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 name of it um so you can get all this kind of help um free online and then if you speak with a patent attorney they can guide you in the right direction as well so there's like patent protection, design patent and trademark protection.
0: That's really useful. Thank you. So I think for anyone looking to do that, a patent attorney sounds like a really good
1: first step. Yes. So once, and I, sorry. One thing to add on that, I feel in the beginning, obviously I've made lots of mistakes and I approached um, like an established company where they have like lots of patent attorneys and that is, uh, very costly. Um, and that costs me more money than I wanted to spend. So I feel like if money is an issue and you want to, um, find a, a more, more efficient ways to make it work, um, finding a patent attorney that's got the experience, but is self-employed so that could really help you actually bring the costs down. It can help you save thousands of pounds.
0: That is so useful to know. Thank you so much. That's really that's really good advice. I think, yeah, because you're right. I think every part of the process can get so expensive. So I think anywhere where we can perhaps save a little is really good. Um, and so speaking of that, so once you have your pattern and you had your prototype and you were happy with the final design how did you go from making everything yourself on your sewing machine to like bulk manufacturing
1: so having a working prototype is great but obviously you have to make sure that it you need to create an efficient way to produce it Um, and that's where where you would be handling the production process to someone else um, and that's what I did. I had to find a factory to help me bring the product to life and um, have a production line set up and, and create a process. So the product has never been done before. They needed a process. And it can be quite difficult if you have a unique product. Um, it, I did get a lot of pushback. Uh, because, pe- you know, factories want to stick to making a T-shirt. They don't want a complex product on their line. Um, but, you know, I believed in it and I continued to persevere with it. And um, we, we have a production line in place and that took quite a while as well to set up. So um, it's three years prototyping, trying to set it up um that kind of all goes into setting up before launching um uh yeah so that's kind of how the process went
0: thank you and I think you can't really underestimate can you the like how long the process can take of finding someone to help with the manufacturing especially as you said when your product's so unique because you might have done the prototyping and know exactly what you want but then it's finding someone else who can produce exactly what you want exactly to your standards um and as you say want to be collaborative with you as well I think that's not as maybe it doesn't sound easy but it's definitely not as, as easy as as it maybe sounds
1: yeah I think manufacturing is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done um prototyping and coming up with an idea is like the fun part But bringing it to life through manufacturing is a whole different ballgame. It's it's really complicated. And, you know, there's relationships that you have to kind of deal on a daily basis. And um, communication is key. Um, And, yeah, manufacturing can be quite an interesting field to get into. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, factories and manufacturing, you just have to do your research, and you might need to approach quite a few. Um, and you might even start with a one and it doesn't work out and you move on to the next one. Uh, it's not always going to be easy, especially if you have a, a unique product.
0: Yeah, thank you for saying that. I think it's good to hear. And I I totally agree that finding a manufacturer can be maybe the most daunting part of the process and sometimes um not always but sometimes the most time consuming because it's such an important piece to get right um, and as you said there were so many manufacturers out there and there will be one I think there will be one that will work well for everyone but it's just
1: finding finding them. the correct one for your product and also like getting the costings right um and where you'd like to uh, make your product and there's a lot of things to consider um but it's one thing that you probably need to focus on because that's where you need to like set your margins um your production cost and um what you're going to sell it for and all the materials on top of that um so it's very, very important when you're launching a product, getting the manufacturing right.
0: Absolutely. And then could you talk about when you like launched your first product to the public and how you went about that? Because obviously you were you were introducing something very new that people hadn't heard about. Um, can you talk us through that a little bit, please?
1: Yes, yeah, sure. So I so again, like money was an issue. Um, so I didn't have a huge marketing budget. Um, I focused on social media from the get-go and um, I focused on um, what makes my product different, what are the benefits of using my product. And I've done a lot of the content myself um, and took the photos myself and the, the before and afters, involved my family and friends. And that's kind of like how it starts and then you progress from there. But I've used social media from the get-go, and it's been my focus from the moment I launched. And all the sales have come through organically, um, which is amazing. And I was also scouted online by uh, the BBC to go on Dragon's Den and um, on Instagram. So Instagram and TikTok, social media, it's just been amazing for my business.
0: I think that makes total sense as well because your product is so – um it's very visual – as in you can see a before, you can see an after, you can see the results, which I think is great for lots of social media platforms where, you know, everything is visual. And it's so, um, it's not instant, but yeah, it's a very easy product to show. My hair looked like this. I used a product and my hair looked like that. And I think that's really good. And I I guess there's also lots of content you can use about how to use it. And yeah, that does make sense. And it's amazing that it's all been organic as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing how much power there is in social media. Um, and I've Instagram was the very first platform I launched on and, and, you know, it's like every few years, there's a new, um, social media app starting. And I I joined TikTok a little bit later than I should have. Um, but once I've joined TikTok, um, The views went up as well there. So we've officially gone over hundred million views on on both TikTok and Instagram, which is amazing. And um, whenever we go viral, um, we always sell out, um, which leads us to kind of take on pre-orders. So it's all organically. Uh, We haven't had a budget for advertisement. We haven't used any ads at all, it's all organic.
0: I do. I do really think that's amazing. And are you, um, are you, this is, I don't know, but are you using influencers at all to share your products or is it just people that are buying your products, loving your products, and then talking about it online?
1: So that interesting to say that, um, because I never set a budget aside for, um, mark like adverse marketing. Um, I never really put a, a, a budget for influencers. And when I did look into it, the prices that the influencers were giving me were like in the thousands and it was just too much for like a small business. It's a, it's a bit risky. You just don't know if you're going to get a return from it. Um, so I, have, I did not invest in paying influencers, but influencers ended up buying the product anyway and created free content for me um which is amazing it's a different way to see it like I never invested in influencers but they bought it anyway
0: that is amazing yeah well done because I guess that shows like the quality of your product that they're choosing to buy your product and promote it
1: yeah I I mean it can go either way isn't it because I'm not paying them to create content um but it's because it's a trend like it's it's quite trendy and, um, it looks different. It gets people talking. Um, so I think the quirkiness side to it kind of helps. Um, so, um, I think that definitely helps with getting people purchasing. Um, and I've always had celebrities purchasing the hair tools. Um, it's just really interesting how it all evolved. Um, But yeah, social media is a huge part of uh, CORDINA hair.
0: And like you say, though, I mean, obviously it is a bit more of a risk when people, you know, you're not gifting the products or paying for it. So people are giving their very honest opinions. And of course, you can't influence what they're saying. Although I would say from a consumer point of view, I definitely prefer to see that type of content. I would much rather someone say, I use this hair tool, I paid for it with my own money and I really like it. Then when you see the, you know, the ad hashtag and you know that they're being paid to talk about it. So I think I think that probably has helped you in, in other ways as well because I think we can get a bit cynical when every other post appears to be mm. sponsored and <laughs> um, it's really nice to see it like kind of organic content. I mean, personally, as a customer, I much prefer seeing like, you know, just real people with their influences, whoever they are saying I like I found this and I liked it and I'm much more influenced than that than by someone I know is being paid and I think a lot of us are getting like that so yeah
1: I you think make it's a good yeah point. um I feel the same as well um it does it feels like you're being sold to all the time sold to all the time and um the content that we tend to create um I try not to do that and I think it worked in our favor um just being helpful like why would you use the product um or how is it going to make your life better why is it why you know why is it better than another product i think the benefits so how how is it going to benefit you i think that's quite important rather than trying to sell a product um but yeah, I do get like the ads a bit, isn't it? The commit you see like commission-based um selling products. But we have as well worked with like customers. So anyone who's purchased a product um and they love it, they we work with them to um so they can promote the product. So we we call we call them brand ambassadors. So um, and they get like an ex- exclusive coupon code, and whenever someone uses the code, they get commissioned through it. But again, they're kind of managing their own content, um, and they're already existing customers, so they already love the product.
0: I think that's really nice. And as you say, as well, their existing customers are people who've chosen to buy it and love it and they're choosing to talk about it. And of course, they maybe get a little incentive if they share their code, but, you know, they're doing it because that's what they want to do. And I think that is more powerful because, yeah, I think we're all more likely to buy something if a friend recommends it or someone you know. So I think that's really, that's really good. And it shows, I guess, as well, that you're building up really loyal customers, which is also so important.
1: Yes, I feel like I'm doing things slightly different from the typical kind of hair and beauty business. And I I think that's quite important to me. Um, Competition doesn't really phase me. I want to be in my own path. Um, I don't want to, sometimes I'm like so focused on what I'm doing, I don't even check what my competitors are doing. But I feel like that's quite good because you get to do what's true to you. And I do, I enjoy being in my own past. This is what we do and kind of ignoring what everybody else is doing. Um, And it it, it has worked for us. So um, being true to yourself is important.
0: That's really refreshing, because that's not usually what people say. <laughs> so
1: That's really that's
0: really interesting. And I think that's really good. And it, I guess it shows also the confidence you have in your product as well. Because I think if you know you have a good product, and you have the belief in that you can do things your way, because you know that what you have is unique.
1: Exactly. I thought you're gonna I got lots of pushback in the beginning. Well, there's so many no's. And um before I got into manufacturing, I was looking into licensing. So manufacturing seemed like uh like an impossible task. It's a very it, it looked very expensive and all the research that I was looking into was very expensive. So licensing came up and it was um, a good way to get your product out, but having someone else do the manufacturing side of it. And, and then you get royalties from it. And I had this meeting with a big hair care brand and they loved it. So that was my kind of uh, first validation. Um, then we were like discussing licensing deals and eventually they decided not to go ahead. So you, I got lots of um, pushback. I got lots of positivity and then pushback. And it's like you know, you have to. I had to believe in my product so much that I, I had to make it work somehow. Um, and I think that that has shown through my journey, um, believing in my my products and what I do and doing things differently and not really caring um, what the norm is um and just doing it my way I think that's really good
0: and I think part of the reason for you know having
1: your own business
0: is that you can do things your own way so I think it's really good that you've stuck to that and you're not you know trying to do the same as everyone else and you are doing what works for you
1: yes definitely so I highly recommend to like um look at what you really enjoy what you're all about and focusing on your own path. Sometimes when you're comparing, it's so easy to just feel a bit deflated and um, almost copying what other people are doing. And people who are on social media, it's like they know what they what to expect when they're scrolling through. Um, being different makes you stand out.
0: Thank you. And you mentioned Dragon's Den earlier, and I haven't forgotten, I i didn't write it down, but I put a pin in my brain to come back to this, because you mentioned that you were approached by the BBC after they saw you on Instagram. So I would love to hear a little bit about your experience in Dragon's Den, um, you know, what it was like and perhaps anything you learned from it as well.
1: So Dragon's Den was quite an interesting um, journey to go through. It, it was a very positive experience for me. Um, There was a lot of preparation that took months to actually go on the show. It was during the pandemic as well. So the actual recording kept getting delayed. Um, I had a newborn as well. So uh, it was quite interesting to handle the two. But... Uh, I feel like lots of preparation, we had to go into it and memorizing the the financials was, you know, something that I struggled with because probably memorizing figures is not my forte. Um, but I did a lot of preparation in terms of speaking in front of a camera and, and, uh, how to breathe properly, which, um. I, I've struggled with, um, so I think Dragon's Den has really helped me um, try get onto my public speaking and getting comfortable in front of the camera, um, and also be able to like handle uh, feedback that you don't necessarily want to hear. And be able to respond in a way where it protects you, your brand and your product, but not being aggressive about it. So there's a lot of um, things that I've learned through it. And it's been quite positive as well in terms of um, press and media. I've been able to make lots of connections through Dragon's Den, which has been amazing. And been able to land on uh, lots of uh, like news outlets. And uh, it's been really good overall
0: that's really interesting and do they um well I'll ask you actually because for anyone who hasn't watched it can you tell us what the outcome was because obviously your episode a long time now
1: so I did walk out with a deal with Sarah Davies and uh but a lot of due diligence takes place after the show um and we decided not to go ahead in the end so um but I did walk out with a deal so that was quite good to kind of walk out there um but I did work out crying, I think. Um, I think it was just overwhelmed. And I also agreed to give away half of my business on the show, which uh, was shocking to me. Um, but I think, yeah, I felt like I needed to get out there with, with, uh, with a deal rather than empty-handed. And uh, I think what people don't realize is like after the show, there's so much due diligence that takes place. Uh, you'd be surprised that most of the deals don't actually go through, um, and that was one of them.
0: That's really interesting, but it does sound like overall it was positive for you that despite bit not yeah. going through. That sounds it sounds really good. And in terms of sort of the preparation and what you have to learn about your business, and do you get support from the production team on that, or are you on your own to figure it out?
1: Um, I got a lot of help with the actual setup, so. Um, the pitch, they did see my pitch as well. They kind of help you out a little bit as well. Um, so they were really helpful. I think, you know, they have, um, they they want you to look at a certain way. They want your stand to look a certain way. So they definitely help you out throughout the process, um, which was quite interesting. But it just dragged for months for me because of the pandemic. Um, I don't. Know how long it usually takes, but mine was like um about, about seven, eight months of preparation, which is a long time.
0: Yes, I'm trying to think because I had another guest on who was on Dragon set and I'm trying to think whether their process was that long. And I want to say no, although I do know it was a long time between recording and then actually being shown. Yeah, as yeah.
1: Well. yeah. Um, so they approached me in january and i think i went on the show uh so it went live in october so that's like 10 months (gasps) Um, yeah
0: that's quite a long time and of course you can't talk about it in between then can you no it's all a secret what happens oh well i'm glad it was a positive experience and as you said you've managed to get press and things off the back Mm -hmm. of it as well so it, i guess it continues to be um really worthwhile having done
1: Thank you. Yes. It's been, it's been positive. Um, and I do recommend it. You get your product out there, you get your name out there. And, uh, I mean, Sarah liked it. Um, so you get like validation as well. If you're, I I was quite early on in my journey, so I just launched and I was definitely in the first stages of my business. I probably went there too early. Um, but I felt I felt like I needed more validation at that point, point. Um, and I I got it. And then, like two months after I went on the show, um, I had my first viral video, um, and that we got we had a, we sold out. And then it, it, that's how it kind of started with my first viral video, and then it continued from there.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned then about selling out and something I we spoke about before we started recording was the fact that quite often you're in a position where you need to take pre-orders for your products. And I was explaining, I think that's really like a smart way of doing things because you can continue to take orders. Um, is that a deliberate decision you took or is that impacted by the stock and how quickly the manufacturing process takes? As in, yeah, was that a a decision you'd made or have you made that decision based on the circumstances
1: so it's interesting you ask that so the first video that went viral um we I, I had so many orders that i went into panic mode and the orders kept coming in and i didn't know how to handle them so i i closed the store um after like a certain amount and that was a very poor decision uh, that I made, and from then on, I thought pre-orders is the way to go. Um, so definitely, I sell out all the time. If a video goes viral, the products just sell out, and then the pre-order button goes on. Um, that's just standard now, and orders still come in. And you'd be surprised; people are willing to wait. Um, we we have thousands of orders on pre-orders, and people are willing to wait. Maybe you get three, five people cancelling because they don't want to wait anymore. But um, people are willing to wait. They they pay up front. And as long as you keep them updated with the timelines, and um, when they should expect the product, um, then there, I don't see any issues with taking pre-orders at all. That's really interesting. Thank
0: you for sharing that because my impression when I went to your site and I saw that you were taking pre-orders was wow this is you know so popular and it I I felt that it was a really positive thing and um, obviously you can see I have curly hair but if I was you know looking <laughs> for one I feel like the fact that it was on pre-order would possibly entice me to buy it more because I'd think oh gosh if I don't order soon maybe they'll all you know maybe I won't get one and I think it's I think it's really smart and as you say it keeps orders coming in keeps the money coming in um yeah I I, and that's why I was curious about how it came about because a lot of sites that I see don't seem to Mm -hmm. do that you can maybe be notified and something comes in stock um but I actually really liked the pre-order and I assume that that from like a technical point of view is something that's easy to set up
1: yeah um I think the site that the server that I use they have Uh, recently uh, launched like a pre-order button which is something I've asked them to do and in the beginning that wasn't there but I put as much information on the site as possible so people know that that they are pre-ordering but I think there are like uh, things in place with like website service to be able to have like a pre-order button Um, yeah definitely like why would you want to stop the money coming in. I think when I did that, um, there was a huge dip in sales. And obviously the money stopped coming in. Um and I I said to myself, I would never do that again. And pre-orders helps, you know, keep like, the momentum going, the money coming in. Um, and you know exactly as well how many how many orders are coming in and what to expect if you needed to up the stock levels, pre-orders is a great way to kind of guide you um, on the numbers. Um, I'm hope we keep putting the stock levels up and then exceed that. Um, but I think pre-orders help you uh, predict numbers as well.
0: That's a really good point because, especially as I mean, I'm, I'm not going to ask what your production times are, but especially when you have a production time, it can be really hard to predict how many you need to cover the next period, whether it's the next quarter or the next weeks or months. That can be really tricky, and it's easy to over over order or under order. So I guess, as you say, having pre-orders just helps you give you an idea of what kind of levels you're looking at.
1: It's still quite difficult. Like we haven't uh, every time we put the the product stock levels up, um, we think it's enough and then we exceed that and then we're back to pre-orders again. Like in my ideal world, I don't want to put pre-order on. Uh, I want the stock to be there and people can purchase and you know they have the product. Um, but it, predicting stock levels can be a really difficult task, especially when you're growing, you just don't know Um, you know, when a viral video is, is gaining momentum online, you just don't know like how much, how many sales you're going to get from it. Sometimes you might get X amount and the next time you, you get a viral video might get more or less. So it can vary. Um, I guess that's the, you know, the nature of organic content going viral. You just don't know exactly how much, um, how many orders you're going to get from that.
0: That's a really good point, actually, because if you were running paid advertising or you were working with a certain influencer, you could probably predict there'll be a spike because this promotion is going on or this ad's getting turned on. But when it's purely organic, you're right. You, I guess there's no way of knowing what's going to go viral because I don't think Such any of us can predict weeks. that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's worked for us, but it fluctuates. So the last video that went really viral, this has been the best viral video ever. Um, and I thought the previous one was amazing and this one was even better. So it's it's an interesting one. You, you think you know your numbers and you don't um, until you, you sell out. So um, I think knowing your stock levels is just an ongoing thing and, and you have to adjust as you go along.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. And you mentioned earlier, of course, that your business is growing and continues to grow. So how has, um, and from the outside, it looks like quite rapid growth as well. I don't know whether that's the reality, <laughs> but that's, you know, how it appears. Um, how has that changed like you and how you run your business um, as it? is you know growing because it's only been a few years really since you launched and it feels like you've done a lot in that time. I feel like it's
1: been a long wild journey um it hasn't gone crazy overnight like this has taken years I incorporated the business in 2017 launched the first product in 2018 and uh I went viral like two months after going on Dragon's Den so it's it's been it wasn't an overnight thing um not at all it has taken me a long time to actually get to where I am now and you know we're still growing we're still quite a small business really um but you know it's not an overnight thing I feel like Instagram as well um we've reached now about I can't remember how many followers but over 60k um that's like not a lot compared to these bigger brands, but it has taken me years to get to that. Um, but, you know, you don't have you don't have to have a huge following to make money online. Um, and I'm proof, really. I don't have like a huge following.
0: That's really interesting. I like, you know, you've been very honest about the fact that it hasn't been rapid. I think that that's often a misconception, isn't it? When someone comes on your radar, new it can feel like they've come out of nowhere because of course you don't know about the years when you didn't know about them when they were a smaller brand and didn't have the followers weren't as well known I think so I think it's it's yeah, it's quite a common thing to think. Oh, you've, you know, you've grown so quickly. Um, although I will say though, I still think five years is actually a relatively short amount of time to get to where you've got to. So I do, I do think it's very impressive.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. But people didn't get to see me prototyping in my shed, and then going to pet sitting. I was doing pet sitting as my little side hustle to get extra money. Um, you know, it was, it was really hard in the beginning, um, and launching as well to nobody, you're launching to your friends and your family, Mm. right. In the beginning, and then trying to get people to see you. It's the beginning is really hard. It
0: is, but I think it's really interesting. Interesting and really useful for other people to hear that you were in that position, you know, when you first launched, that you didn't have a big following and like you say, felt like you were launching to nobody, because I think that's all of us, or at least most of us with a first product, it does feel like, is anybody out there? Does anyone know I exist? (laughs) So I do think it's, it is inspirational to know that, okay, if you, okay, it might be more than a few years, but you know, it's not that long to, you know, have the following that you have and. Knows and selling out regularly so I do still think it is an achievement and it is inspirational because I think it can be very easy in the early days to feel like you're constantly talking to nobody that you're not on anyone's radar the sales aren't where you want them to be and it can be tough those first few years because you don't know how long it will be until you start to see things grow
1: and it can be quite a few years until people start noticing you I think a good uh Kind of little story that happened to me when I first launched. Um, I launched a product and I put like a code on it so people can get it like uh, like discounted. And I put the code wrong and I, the product was a penny. It, and someone said to me, like a friend said, do you know that your product is being sold for a penny? I'm like, what? And I looked at it and nobody bought it because nobody knew about it nobody saw it. So marketing is, is, you know, what's going to sell your product. And even if you think you're not selling it, like nobody's seeing it, um, you, you need to keep at it. Like that meant to me that there were no, nobody looking at it. Nobody knew about it. um, And that's why there were no sales.
0: But I like what you said there about that really makes sense about sort of keeping on though, because I think it is the consistency that helps with growth. Because you know, you've mentioned that all you've been doing is social media, nothing paid, so organic social media. But I think that where you've seen the growth in, I would guess is that you've been consistently promoting your products on social media over the years. Um, because I think there's nothing more frustrating than when Someone posts a little bit, stops, goes away for six months, comes back. And then every time it's like you're starting from scratch.
1: Mm, And I think there's a
0: lot to be said from just showing up and talking about your products consistently. And I'm sure that helps with the algorithms, with people seeing you, and just with people also having faith in you that you're there and you're not going away, if that makes sense. Like you're a real business. You're, yeah, I think that really helps because sometimes. Yeah, I think it doesn't always look as good if if you're very patchy with where, when, or how you're showing up. You know, if you go to a website and you can see it hasn't been updated since 2019, and
1: then you <laughs> think, okay, are they still in business? You lose your trust in someone. Yeah. Right? Um. But yeah, I feel like I have been consistent. Um. What and good point about like if you take a break, your Instagram takes your, your social media takes a break. So you do see a bit of uh, a dip in your engagement and you almost need to start again every time you take a bit of a break. And we, I did that when um, the video went crazy and we had lots of sales from it and we had to take a step back from social media to catch up. Um, and I noticed immediately like, um, you know, a dip in in engagement, and also uh, new um, buttons to create a video. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have to relearn how to upload a video here or edit it. It's amazing how quickly social media moves. There's like lots of new things that they're constantly um, adding to the apps. So I took a bit of a break, and all of a sudden, the, the buttons moved, and I had to relearn how to post again. Uh, it's just interesting that once you take that bit of a break it can be quite daunting to start again as well um and you know sometimes a social media break is is it helps, uh, but maybe having help with that someone who enjoys posting on social media for you for your business that could help keep the um the posts up and the momentum going so you keep the algorithm. In your favour,
0: that's really good advice. Or even scheduling posts to cover the time you're not around, or so. I think you're right though. It's it's always harder to start again, almost harder than it is to start in the first place. Because we were talking before we recorded, weren't we, about Amazon and how every time you go out of stock, it feels like you're starting again because you have to again start getting people to notice you and know you're there. And I think it's that applies to so many things where. Um, And it's a shame in a way because we should all be allowed to take a break and step away from things. But it feels like when you do that, you have to consider, am I willing to then start afresh afterwards?
1: Yeah, and I find it a little bit daunting because things move about within the app and you have to relearn certain elements of the app again but what we do here is we schedule quite a lot of content so in advance and i try to schedule content at least a month in advance um so if i need to take a break i can and the content is still going out um and i think that's that's uh, something that i probably recommend so you're not constantly you know on social media, waiting for a certain time to post, it can be done automatically.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And thank you so much for everything you've shared with us this afternoon. Well, it might not be the afternoon for people listening, but thank you so much for all you shared with me this afternoon. it's been really fascinating to hear about your journey and all the advice you've given. And I have one more question before we finish, if that's okay, which is what was your number one piece of advice be your top tip for other product creators?
1: I think when it comes to product development, you have to be patient. You must be patient and you must be able to persevere through the ups and downs Um, of developing a product, uh, you're going to get a lot of pushback um, and no's, but if you believe in your idea, nothing should stop you from actually making it happen. Um, I also think that if money is an issue, which it is for many when you're just starting out or you're starting a new product, you will find ways to make it work. Like I did, um, you know, you find more efficient ways to actually make it happen. You don't have to spend a lot of money to to bring a product to life. Um, you be, you'd be amazed at how you can be creative around it and spend less um, and still be able to launch a product.
0: That's really interesting. Thank you. And I totally agree with you. I think there are the areas you need to spend money, but there are definitely ways of cutting back in others, especially at the beginning when you you don't, very unlikely to have the money for everything. I think sometimes you have to know that it's it's better to get it done and you could improve as you go forwards. But As you said, I think if you have that idea and you're passionate about it, then yeah, I think moving ahead with it is really important.
1: And I think if you have, like, a lot of money just sitting there you you and you want to spend it, you will spend it. You'll find lots of ways to spend it, and it goes fast. So I feel like when it, money is a bit limited, then you're going to be clever about it. You're going to be really, like, thinking where each pound is going to go. Um, so I think it, sh- it shouldn't work against you. Uh, it should work, like... Uh, really well for you if if money is a bit of an issue you you can be creative and around it and still make it happen
0: that's really good advice thank you so much
1: thank you vicky i really enjoyed this